The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Wow, what a great start to this morning. We are in John 16. Go ahead and open your Bibles. John 16. We're going to be looking at verses 23 to 27. Oh, it's so great to be together. One service together. I know it complicates things with Sunday school. Uh, Elder Steve Murphy threatened to cut my pay in half if we went to one service instead of two. So, you know, there are reasons to have two services. Um, okay, John 16, 23 to 27. Let's pray first. Our Father, we thank you for the joy and privilege that it is to come into your presence because of the finished work of Jesus, your only Son. Thank you for the Holy Spirit sent to point us to Jesus, to help us and guide us in your word, and we ask that he would do so now for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And our scripture reading, again, Jesus had just been speaking of the great sorrow and then the joy that his disciples would experience. And he continues with this. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. This is God's word. In that day, what is Jesus describing here? In that day. Last week we thought about what Jesus meant when he said, A little while and you will see me no longer, and then... Again, a little while, and you will see me. And we understood that to be talking about um, not seeing him because of his death and then rejoicing at seeing him again, referring to his resurrection. How incredible it must have been. How devastated they were. The world is rejoicing as they are grieving. They see the risen Lord, and how incredible their joy must have been at seeing him physically before their eyes. But is that the day that Jesus mentions now in verse 23? Certainly the disciples asked Jesus lots of questions when he was in his resurrected body before the ascension. But in this 23rd verse, he says, you will ask nothing of me. What is he talking about? When we look at verses 25 through 27, it seems that what Jesus is describing is the work of the Holy Spirit who will open their eyes and help them understand the significance of 
things that Jesus has been describing prior in figures of speech. So when the disciples first saw Jesus risen from the dead, clearly their hearts rejoiced at this scene. And concerning this joy, Jesus said, and no one will take your joy from you. No one will take your joy from you. The joy of the resurrection did not end. It didn't end because the the resurrection is not merely an event. It's the dawning of a new age. An age filled with an irrepressible joy. And so now when Jesus says, that day, he's not simply speaking of that initial day, but of the day or the age to come. Whatever sorrows experienced in this day for the believer is filled with hope, with joy that can't be taken from us because Jesus is risen and everything has changed. The ascension did not rob them of their joy because even though Jesus left physically, he came to them spiritually at Pentecost through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And this joy extends to you, to us, as we know the presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit. This this would be a change for the disciples. So back to our context. This would be a change for the disciples. And a part of that change is that instead of asking Jesus, which they've been doing for three years, now, like us... They will pray to the Father. They will pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. Think of the relationship that these disciples had with Jesus. And because of the cross and the resurrection, they and we have a relationship with God the Father. And so Jesus teaches them about this relationship. Prayer is communication. And communication is important to every relationship. Work relationships are frustrated when there's a lack of communication. Friendships, marriage, parents and children. If we don't ask, if we don't learn about each other, if we never communicate, then we won't have much of a relationship. Read any book on marriage or parenting and they'll talk about communication. Our faith is not simply a a religious practice. It is that. We have lots of traditions. But our faith is not simply a religious practice. It's a relationship. God made us in his image. And he walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. And sin ruined everything. It broke fellowship. And this is why he sent his son to take on flesh and to, again, walk among us. Jesus came to fix what we had broken through our sin. We committed the crimes against a holy God who continually showed us goodness, blessing us with life and breath and pleasures, causing the sun to shine and the rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike. It it amazes me. People struggle with how 
What's the typical question? How can a good God allow so much suffering in the world? And yet the real head scratcher should be over this, over what we truly deserve. But instead we should wonder, why on earth is God continually giving all of this blessing to people who only deserve immediate and eternal wrath? Why is he so good? That's the question. Why is he so good to people who use his name as a curse and continually spit in his face by breaking his law? The real struggle that people ought to have is to wonder how God so so patiently, so lovingly puts up with rebels who are clearly ungrateful for the many forms of goodness that they receive every day. And in response to our sinful rebellion, instead of sending another worldwide flood, he lovingly sent his son to save us, to bring us back into relationship with him. And now, because of this relationship, we, we experience acceptance and growth in holiness and undeserved favor, a life, a life of prayer. We have a relationship. Communication with the God of the universe through prayer. At this time in our text, Jesus is preparing for the cross. And yet, he continually cares for his own. He prepares these disciples for the age to come by describing here the blessing of prayer. Earlier in what we know as the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught them a pattern of prayer. And many people have pointed out just how how radical this teaching must have initially sounded because Jesus told them that they could actually address Almighty God, the maker of heaven and earth, as our Father. Oh, we, we take this so much for granted. We take prayer for granted. We take a relationship with God for granted. But think about how this landed. They weren't, they didn't pray, Father. This just was radical. So Jesus is now equipping his disciples. Here's the, this new age to come because of my death and resurrection. This is going to be the norm. Now Jesus makes this, this point The same point in chapter 16, teaching his disciples, ask the Father in my name. For us, again, it just seems normal. And, oh, we take prayer for granted. We're way too casual. We're way too neglectful. Again, here I am preaching a topic that, oh, oh, I need to pray more. It's so convicting. And encouraging. We're so neglectful, not loving and being rightly amazed at the incredible privilege of communicating directly to the Father. God, of course, is, our God is triune. One being who is God, described in three persons of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Paul speaks of a, of a pattern 
to our prayer, saying, For through the Son we have access in one spirit to the Father. This pattern recognizes that Jesus Jesus is our mediator. It's only because of Jesus, through his work of mediation, that we have access to pray to the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And oh, we need the Holy Spirit. We need him because we, whether you realize it or not, we are so weak. Paul also wrote that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Aren't we thankful for the Holy Spirit who helps us in our praying? So just like our salvation, prayer is through the Son, by the Spirit, and to the Father. And as we've seen in previous chapters, the, the Spirit is not, is not an it. We can make the mistake of referring to the Spirit as an it. No, He is not an it. He is a real person of the Godhead who is our helper, who knows us and knows our desires better than we know ourselves. And Jesus is our master and Lord and friend. He's real. And so it's appropriate at times for us to talk to or pray to both the Holy Spirit and Jesus. But the normal pattern that we see in God's word and that Jesus describes here is that we pray to the Father by the Spirit through or because of the Son. And it's, a, it's amazing, isn't it, to think about what God has done, that he truly he wants a relationship with us. That Jesus didn't only come to this earth living and dying for our sins just to keep us out of hell and give us a nice afterlife. But that he actually suffered and died to reconcile us to the Father. So that we can be his adopted son or daughter. So that we can have and enjoy a a loving relationship with him. And Jesus is our mediator, which, which doesn't mean that God the Father is some big angry judge who, who wants to send us to hell and then Jesus comes along and, and settles him down and convinces him that it, it, you know, it'd be better to love us instead. Sometimes we can have these wrong impressions of the Father. No, Jesus prays in John 17, our next chapter, that he has accomplished what the Father sent him to do. It was because of the love of the Father that Jesus came to die for us. And this is why in verse 26, Jesus says, I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. Jesus didn't convince an unwilling deity No, he achieved the very passion of God's heart to restore us as his beloved children. So when Jesus teaches these disciples about prayer, he's teaching them about the Father. And a father, a good and perfect father, is one who protects and provides for his children. They already know that these disciples, they already know that Jesus loves them. 
But do they know that the Father loves them as well? They already know that they can ask Jesus anything. So now, now that Jesus will be leaving and the Helper will be coming, they need to know that they are not abandoned. And they can ask the Father, knowing that He loves them as well. They need to know that this, Jesus said, is to their advantage. It's even better. Prayer can involve a lot of things. There are different kinds of prayers and occasions for prayer. Prayer may be very formal, led at church, or it may be very personal and and private. But Jesus seems to boil it down to asking. Notice how many times Jesus uses the word ask in our text. That's how he's describing prayer, asking. Yes, prayer is, it's more than asking. And many people will, you know, they'll follow different um, formulas for prayer. A common one is the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S, beginning their prayers with, with adoration and then confessing their sins, then and giving thanks. So there's different aspects to, to what we pray. And then supplication or asking. And all of this has to do with our being mindful of this incredible relationship and our communication in it. God, God is holy and beautiful and perfect. And so he is deserving of our ongoing adoration. Never-ending praise. Because he is so great. It gives us joy to look upon beauty and acknowledge it. So it's our our blessing to pray in in an adoring way concerning God. And we need to be mindful also of our sins. And so seeking God's faithful and just and gracious cleansing... Is important. We need to always, we need to always be thankful, recognizing God's goodness, His ongoing provision, and His loving wisdom to give us. Sometimes, to say no to us, to give us what is best, what we actually need, what is best for us, and amazingly, God asks us. Or invites us to ask of him. Essentially prayer is our communication. Relating our lives, our hearts with God who graciously stoops to listen. Jesus said, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So, could it be that the times when we're lacking in joy, that it has something to do with our lack of prayer. Clearly, Jesus isn't saying that you know, we just have more stuff if we just ask for it. Our joy is not in stuff. It's in our relationship with God. And so when we don't come to him, when we don't express the truth of his greatness and glory, things which put our overwhelming circumstances into their proper order and perspective, then our joy will not be full. 
we need to see, you need to see glorious things. For example, when you, <laughs> over this last year and a half, people realize, I need to get outside. I need to see some, some sunshine. This is depressing being cooped up inside all the time. Go for a walk around Roxy Ann. It, it is uh, very therapeutic. So we know this. We need the sun. We need to get outside. We need to see the beauty of creation and, and how that impacts our joy, how that impacts our health, our, our state of mind. A few weeks ago, I just, I just got up and drove over to the coast just for a couple hours just to stand on the beach and look and feel small. Sometimes the best remedy is just to get outside, to take in that light from the sun, to look and consider the beauty of creation, to realize, yes, I am so small. And prayer, prayer is similar to this. Looking at God's word and praying it back to him. Expressing his worth and the confidence, the confidence that we have in an almighty God. Meditating on the reality that he is, he is infinite and you are small. That our circumstances, they seem so massive to us overwhelming to us, so big, but in light of him, they're not so big after all. We cast all our anxieties on God, the God of the universe, knowing that he, he sees, he knows you, he cares. He's at work, promises to be at work for your good. And I don't mean to say that prayer is just like some light switch and it just immediately, you know, fixes your problem. We, we, that we can just maybe pray and suddenly everything is okay. But it certainly is a move in the right direction. It's certainly good for us to talk with the most caring and wise counselor of all. One that actually has the power to to do something about our problems and the wisdom to do what's best. Oh, we need to pray. To have a conversation with God, to ask of him. And if you, if you just don't know what to ask, remember Pastor Jim's suggestion a couple of weeks ago? Go back through the Lord's Prayer. The first request that Jesus taught us has to do with God's glory. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Begin by asking that God's name would receive the glory that it deserves, that he deserves. And then your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Ask for the success of gospel ministry. Pray for your church. Pray for your witness at work. Pray for our missionaries around the world, that there would be fruit, there would be changed hearts and minds, and for our leaders and their conformity to do what is right and true. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, 
provide, not for all our wants, but for all our needs. Pray about money, pray about food and shelter, clothing and friendship and work. Pray for the Spirit to help you understand God's Word so that you might live a godly life. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Pray that you'll be a gracious person. It amazes me how many people describe themselves as a Christian and they are just not gracious and bitter and unforgiving. And I just think, ah, is that a Christian? Pray that you'll be a gracious person. One that forgives as you've been forgiven. One that recognizes a debt that was infinitely greater than any sin that's ever been committed against you. And so if the Spirit indwells us, shouldn't we resemble that? Shouldn't we forgive? Oh Lord, make me gracious like you. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Ask God for protection, protection from Satan who wants to ruin you, who wants to devour you, protection from temptation to sin and thinking so little of it and giving into it and minimizing it in our lives. Oh, in humility, we need to ask God for this help. So prayer asks many things of God, but another thing that Jesus teaches us is that we actually do have access It's an awesome thing to ask the most glorious one who stoops into our lives. It's awesome to realize that we really do have access to him. I read a story about a Union soldier with a a great personal need. And he, he went to the White House to see the president during the Civil War. And the secretary refused to to interrupt the nation's chief executive to deal with some personal problems. So the soldier sat in a hallway and began to weep. Soon a little boy came down the hall, and upon seeing the soldier, he asked what the problem was. I need to see the president of the United States, the soldier explained, but I can't get into him. At this explanation, the little boy took the soldier by the hand, walked him by the secretary's desk, passed the armed guards down another hallway and into the oval-shaped office where Abraham Lincoln was working. Lifting up his head, the president said, Oh, my son, what can I do for you? The soldier needs to speak to you, Daddy, came the reply. Do you sometimes think of God as he's badly depicted in movies? thinking, well, who am I? I'm just a little person with little needs, and who am I to bother God while he's busy running the universe and all? He's not too busy for you. He's not distracted. He wants to hear from you. He loves spending time with you. Because of Jesus, we have access to the Father. And unlike Abraham Lincoln, God the Father not only says to Jesus, my son, what can I do for you? But now God says to us, to every believer in Christ, my son, my daughter, I want to hear your heart. Ask me what you need. 
So Jesus, he wants his disciples, he wants us to realize the great joy and privilege of prayer. And that we, we now have access to the Father. But just as important, we need, to, we need to understand why. Why is it that we have access? Three times in verses um, 23, 24, and 26, Jesus uses the phrase, in my name. In verse 23, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And we think, whatever you ask? So you want, okay, unlimited wishes and a million dollars? Oh, in Jesus' name? Okay. Good. Well, okay then. Of course, we know that God is not some genie in a bottle. And these are not magic words. So let's consider three ways that we can understand what what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? First, praying in Jesus' name means that we're praying as those who, who actually believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way we can have a relationship with God is through faith in his one and only son. Just being a human doesn't mean you're a child of God. People are confused over that. Yes, you're, you're made in his image, you're his creation, but we're adopted children of God. How incredible is that? So we need to believe rightly about the Lord Jesus Christ, and through him, we are sons and daughters. Believing involves facts holding something to be true. And so let's consider the meaning of his name. Praying in Jesus' name means that we believe he is Lord. Or we believe that Jesus is God. Lord is the English equivalent of the Greek kurios, which is a translation of the Hebrew name Yahweh or Jehovah. So when the apostles referred to Jesus as the Lord, what they meant is that he's the incarnate God, the sovereign of his people. And we see an example of this strong belief when the the early Christians were required and refused to burn incense and express the saying, Caesar is Lord. And they wouldn't do this because they understood that this, this was not simply a statement of authority, but attributing deity. These Christians would rather die as martyrs because they understood that calling someone Lord was calling them or giving them the glory that belongs to Christ alone. Also, they believed on the personal name of Jesus. They understood that the name Jesus means Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. This is why the angel told Joseph that he was to name the child in Mary's virgin womb, Jesus, explaining he will save his people from their sins. And by believing the name Christ, which is really a title or an office, the Greek Christos, 
translating the Hebrew for Messiah. Messiah means the anointed one. And the anointed offices in the Old Testament are those of of prophet, priest, and king. Believing in Jesus means that we believe he is the incarnate God, the Savior who reveals God to us as the ultimate prophet, who is the priest who finally and ultimately cleanses us of our sins, who is the king of kings, the one who is sovereign over all. So a Christian, at minimum, believes these truths concerning Jesus. And if our only access of praying to God is by praying in Jesus' name, then we must understand the implication of those who do not believe. James Boyce wrote, It is a family privilege. God does not promise to hear the prayer of anyone who comes to him in any way, but through faith in the person and work of his unique and beloved son. So praying in Jesus' name means that we believe these truths about him. And second, praying in Jesus' name means that we approach God on the basis of Christ's saving work. We live, we live in a culture that thinks... I know this will be shocking to you. We live in a culture that thinks way too highly of itself. One that's lost respect for positions of authority. And will post or say just about anything to anyone. So brave. Regardless of a person's credentials and the respect that they are due. And it's not that questions can't be asked but it's often the way in which they're asked. The same kind of arrogance leads to a casual attitude toward the ultimate sovereignty of God, thinking that that he must answer to us as we question his wisdom and goodness and his love and fairness. So maybe that old story about Abraham Lincoln doesn't really work anymore. And people just assume that, of course, they can just waltz into the Oval Office. Maybe it's, maybe it's shocking to people, and even some Christians, that God does not welcome or listen to prayers of unbelievers. That the only prayers he invites are those that are covered in the atoning blood of Jesus. Or, if it's an unbeliever, that he will hear that initial humble prayer of repentance and faith Desiring God's forgiveness. The words in Jesus' name, these are not empty words or some kind of password. No, they express a humble realization of the gospel. Not forgetting what Jesus has done to save us. And that this is the only reason we have the incredible privilege of entering into the most holy place of God's throne finding that because we are in Christ, our Father waves us in with a smile and says, yes, my child, please, I want to I hear your heart. Come spend some time with me. We live in a world that thinks that we are narrow-minded bigots. 
if we believe that Jesus is the only way that we can pray to God. When a Christian leader is asked to pray in public, oftentimes they're asked to give a more generic prayer, one that's not so exclusive to Jesus and Christianity, one that's, that's sensitive to other perspectives and religions. And we really shouldn't agree to praying any other way because our Lord tells us to ask of the Father in the name of Jesus. Praying is not a human right. It is a Christian privilege. Gordon Ketty writes, not to pray in Jesus' name explicitly and unambiguously is to conceal the necessity of his atoning death and faith in him as the sole ground of approach to God. It is to suggest by silence that there are other ways to God and that God will accept that prayer of those who do not know Christ as their Savior. So even if the prayer sounds very formal and reverent, if it excludes or ignores Jesus, then it is a godless prayer because no one can come to the Father except through Jesus. A third way that we understand praying in Jesus' name is that our requests actually agree with his revealed will for us. If you're sinning, if you're ignoring the commands of God, living in sexual sin and praying for God's blessing over that relationship, he will not listen to that. He will not bless what is contrary to Jesus and his will. He will not give what is foolish and unwise because this is not his will for you. It's not in Jesus' name. So praying in Jesus' name assumes that we, that we know and agree and submit to God's will and that we ask along these lines. And so we need to know our Bibles We need to read and study our Bibles. We need to pray through our Bibles. We need to be conformed to God's will that is revealed to us in his word. That we have the mind of Christ and then ask what he would ask. God has revealed his will concerning many things. He is clear about sin. He gives us wisdom. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through the Word and gives us discernment. So if we're not spending any time in the Word, then our prayers will probably reflect our will more than His. And yes, there are many areas of life that that are not clear or revealed or promised to us. When we pray for healing, for example, we don't know. We don't know what the sovereign and good purposes of God are. Oftentimes our, our faith is strengthened through suffering. And sometimes God replies with, no, my grace, is, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect through weakness. And yet we also find examples and instructions to, to pray for healing. And sometimes that's what we receive. So some things are hidden from us. God reveals his will in the commands In his word, and he also tells us that in his word, he tells us that the hidden things belong to him. So 
So there are categories where we pray and we ask, believing that God is absolutely able and yet trusting in his goodness to do what is best. Sometimes his best is given through healing and sometimes it's through suffering. Either way, we bring our requests to God. And these kinds of prayers are welcomed because God invites them in his word. What a gift. What a gift we have in God's word to hear from God, to know and love Jesus, and then to come boldly to the throne of God, not because we're special, not because we're deserving, not because of anything, but Jesus. There are many things that we need to be praying about. It's a wonderful and gracious gift. So let's be reminded once again not to neglect our time in prayer. Don't get distracted. Don't don't lose heart and give up. Remember, remember the incredible privilege that it is that we that we come in Jesus name which means that we believe he is our god he is our savior our prophet priest and king the one who purchased us with his own blood and now by the spirit through his word we can know him and pray according to his will let's pray together Our great God and King, we praise you. We praise you for all that you have perfectly done. May your name be hallowed. Instead of being concerned over the things that offend us, might we desire and be concerned and pray concerning your glory as man continually works to suppress it and belittle you. Give us a renewed sense of reverence and awe of you. Lord, we do bring our requests before you. We, we pray for the strength of this, your church, that you would speak through your word by the power of the Spirit, that you would strengthen our faith, our trust in you, our desire to obey you and worship you with our lives. Lord, give us a greater hunger for your word that we, that we might grow in our love for you. Give us an excitement and a conviction to pray, to pray more, to pray rightly, to persevere and find great joy in this amazing privilege that we tend to so foolishly neglect. Father, thank you for your love in sending your son. Thank you for Jesus, who is the only way of salvation and who always lives to make intercession for us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, who is our helper, opening our eyes to the truth of your word and even helping us in what we bring to you in prayer. We praise you. We praise you, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.